Today we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 8, verses 14 to 26 in our time together. If you want to turn over there, and as you do, again, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that they're not just words. It's true, Lord. You're the God of all hope. It is so easy, Father, for us to put our hope and our confidence in men and people. And Lord, at the end of the day, if we put all our eggs in that basket, they'll break. It's not safe. It's foolish. We're reminded of this, Lord, as we look at what is happening even politically, Lord. Father, I would uh, pray for those many people that were hurt over this past week. Some died. There's family members that are grieving. There's police officers that have died and been injured. Lord, that is a tragedy. Lord, it was wrong when they did it in our cities through the summer. For whatever reason, under the guise of justice, it is always wrong to violate the law and structures of our day. It is wrong, Lord, to storm a capital. Always, always. Father, our hope is not in our political structures. Whatever side people are on, our hope is in you. So, Father, as we look at your word today, remind us afresh of that truth. Empower us to live it in all of our relationships. And by your grace, as you grant us opportunity, may we proclaim it to everybody that we meet. For therein is our hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's because of him, Lord, that we pray. Amen. So over the holiday, had our family in from, from Michigan. And um, one of the things about my kids, they didn't pick it up from me. But all of my kids are major game players. I mean, they love board games. I, 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 it's, it's unbelievable. I, I play them, but I can't say I love them. Have you ever heard of this game, um, Code Names? Has anybody heard that game? It's really, really, really fun. We ended up playing the thing, I don't know, 10 times. Guys against the girls uh, while they were in. What's that? I know. My wife is reminding me. The girls won seven of the 10 times. Fair enough. Thank you, honey. What's that? Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, so, so, I mean, it, it was a lot of fun. But it's one of those games, if you haven't played, a lot of uh, these board games kind of work this way. It, it works with word associations, you know? And so with this particular one... I can only give one word, and they've got to figure out as many of the, 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 the names that are on the board as possible. You know, so you, you try to come up with a word that they're going to connect to all those other things. Sometimes it went well, sometimes it didn't go so well. When we come to this passage, there's a major word association problem. Jesus is, is going to put a word out there for the disciples, Leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. 
Okay, that's more than a word he puts out. But he's going to put that statement out. What are they going to associate that with? And what they associate that with will tell you more about them than it will about Jesus. Do you see? So it's a fascinating passage as we actually come to it. Watch the word association game. Just to kind of get your feet wet. They've had a lot of time and opportunities to understand Jesus. And understand word associations. This isn't the first time they're going to be confused. If you remember, after Jesus gives his parables in Mark chapter 4, we, we find out that it's just, apart from him explaining it to them, it goes right over their head. Like, they don't get it at all. And again, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus is teaching about what's most important is what comes out of your heart rather than what actually goes into your stomach. I like way over their head. I look like, I mean, they're not connected with the spiritual at all. We're going to find that happening here again. And yet, they really, humanly speaking, shouldn't have an excuse, you would think, because think about it, folks. Can you imagine feeding 5,000 men plus women and children, 10,000 plus people in Jewish territory? It's happened back in chapter 6. And coming right out of the heat, right before this passage here, we're going to find out that he does the same thing with 4,000 men plus women. What, another, I don't know, 8,000, 10,000 people? All that momentum of these miracles and this, these miraculous feedings and Jesus, I mean, he's the bread of life for heaven's sakes. I mean, all this wonderful stuff. And right before... This passage. Jesus has come back from Gentile territory territory into Jewish territory. As he gets back into Jewish territory, who comes and meets him right away but the Pharisees and religious leaders? James preached about it last week. And what they want from him is another sign to prove himself. Are you kidding? Like, hello? Now, this was all manipulation to test and use him. Of course. And, and Jesus who moves toward people who are receptive with the Pharisees, he moves away from those that oppose and reject. It's always the way it works, doesn't it? So when you come to chapter 8, verse 13 and 14, the Pharisees have made these accusations and Jesus has said in judgment, we're going to Bethsaida across the way and they're going to leave by boat. Now folks, Think about something. Almost every time you get on a boat with Jesus, there's going to be issues. Okay? I mean, just, I mean, just mark it down. Like, when you read a story and go, and they got into the boat and they're traveling, you should be going, dee, 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 dee. something's going on here, man. Okay? It happens here again. Happened after the feeding of the 5,000. Remember that? I mean, Jesus just fed all those people. It's incredible. And they hop on the boat and, and, and they think, you know, they, they see Jesus coming and they're fearful and they just, they're scared. And, and the Bible tells us Jesus gets into the boat, settles everything. The Bible tells us that for some reason they still didn't understand who Jesus is because they were so driven by fear. 
They missed everything he had just done. Notice what happens in this passage. Chapter 8, let me just begin in verse 13. Kind of get our feet wet in what's happening here. So then he left, left the Pharisees. He's going to go across the, the Sea of Galilee to Bethsaida. And got into a boat and crossed to the other side. Now, notice what happens. Look at verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Now, I will have to tell you, that is a major, that is a minor problem, isn't it? Twelve guys in Jesus, and you got one loaf of bread? I don't know about you, but, you know, if it's around lunchtime, that's a bad thing. Right, so, so, yeah, not, not, not the best thing in the world that they forgot that. Okay? Um, it's part of life. You know, we forget and things happen. Not wrong in and of themselves. It's part of life. And that's not the problem of this passage. It's not like Jesus comes in and says, you guys ought to be a whole lot more prepared for next time. So he does it all. He goes and focuses on what's most important. So notice what happens in verse 15. Jesus warned them. Okay, so they're in the boat, you know, and James is talking to John saying, hey, did you... Did you bring the, those loaves of bread? No, Andrew was supposed to do it. Oh man, Peter told me. I don't, I mean, I don't know what that sounded like. But it doesn't take long for this bunch to start bickering amongst themselves, does it? Okay, so whatever. In the midst of all that, Jesus speaks. Jesus warned them, be careful. Watch out for the yeast or the leaven. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. See, here they are in the boat. Who has the bread? I don't know. You forgot. I don't know. Whatever that looks like. And Jesus, Jesus isn't concerned about those things. He's concerned about the spiritual. And so he goes and he says, guys, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Well, what do we know about the Pharisees? Religious hypocrisy. An influence that would seek to say what's more important is the way you look than the reality of your heart. And Jesus says that can just sweep right through a group of people. You got to watch out for that. There's a whole message here by Jesus, but it was never heard. It was only started. It was missed. And, 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 and Jesus is saying, look, Spiritually speaking, you've got to watch that influence. It can lead people straight. And when you think of Herod, a political figure, but for Herod, life was all about curiosity. When he got John the Baptist and put him in prison, he was an interesting guy to listen to. He had listened to him. He kind of liked John. But when push came to shove, John's dead. He, he was a politician. Curious, interesting but I will domesticate Christ, John the Baptist, and anybody else that comes up against me. And Jesus says, those, those winds sweep across and they're constantly trying to influence us. Religious hypocrisy that says what matters is what people think, not the reality of the heart. Jesus is somebody to be played with. Curiosity, whatever, control, but Politics and what I want matters most. Jesus says, you got to watch that stuff. Did they hear any of that? Zero. 
When Jesus said, beware the leaven or the yeast. You know what happened right away? Bing, bing, bing. Word association game. We're playing code games now, code names now. Yeast. Bread. Bread that we forgot. Bread that we need. Bread if we don't have it. Who knows? Maybe we'll die. I don't know what they're thinking. But you see what happens? They're playing code names. The yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. They don't even hear of the Pharisees and Herod. That's, that's good. All they hear is yeast. And what it takes them back to is what's most important in their hearts. And what concerns them most. I don't want to be too hard on these guys. Because I do the same thing. I mean, you look at this passage and you say, sometimes I look at this passage and I say to myself, what are they, stupid? I mean, Jesus does all these miracles. He feeds the 5,000. He feeds the 4,000. They hear the word yeast and all they can do is worry about bread? Then I look at my own life. Christ has done the greatest of all works. He saved my lost soul. But again and again, Christ has been gracious and kind to me. Again and again. But if next week, I have a physical issue or a financial issue, you know what my tendency is? To be overwhelmed with that and not hear anything else that Jesus is trying to teach me. Is it just me? But I, I, you know, I see these guys and I, I want to be careful. Because I, it wasn't right what they did. Like, but like I got my name written all over that. And my guess is you probably do too. Look what the text goes on to say in verse 16. <laughs> so after Jesus says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and, the, and that of Herod. They discussed with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. <laughs> oh my goodness. Guys, yeast, bread, physical problems. Watch out, fear, concern, blah, 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 whatever. We do that, don't we? And Jesus now turns back and confronts them. And they're strong words, I have to tell you. But I would also say they're words of hope. You'll see as we actually work through it. Jesus will then give his response here in verses 17 to 21. Um, in this passage, Jesus does nothing but ask questions. That's always a problem. If you're in a discussion with Jesus and he starts asking you questions, you're in trouble. Okay. But, but in this case, he asked one question after another question after another question. Listen to what he says. And, and I also want you to note something too. Um, what you're going to see is he's going to make a statement at the beginning. Then he's going to go off and, and, and talk off of that. And then he's going to come back and make almost an identical statement again at the end. So in verse 17, Jesus is going to make this statement. 
Do you still not see or understand? And almost identically in verse 21, do you still not understand? You see, so that becomes really significant in this passage. You don't understand. Okay, so listen to what Jesus says. Verse 17. Aware of their discussion. So I imagine Jesus is looking at these guys and he said, beware the, 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 the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Let's talk about influences around us that can keep us from living for the kingdom and what is most important. And they're going like, I thought you were going to bring it. No, that was you. Well, I got the loaf, so I'm eating it. No, you got to share that with me. I'm your brother. Well, okay, then just, I don't know. I don't know what that looked like. Jesus is like, well, guys, stop. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Folks, I thought only lost people can have hardened hearts. Right? Remember, you go back and you look at the parable of the, the soils and the, you know, that first soil, man, that thing is just hard, like nothing ever gets in. And that's true. There's a lot of people that don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, like nothing penetrates. But you know, there are times in Doug Finkbeiner's life when what God wants to teach him is words spiritually, which, which is true life, which is true joy and peace. It comes and it hits and it just bounces off of me. Do you see? And we can be hardened for a whole host of reasons. Sometimes we're hardened. And we're not hearing what God wants for us. Because we're overly concerned about other things. And I'm so focused there that when God's word comes of life and hope and change and transformation, bing, 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 it just pops right off. Because I'm so focused on this. Jesus, you're talking about the bread of life and I'm thinking about what am I going to feed my family tomorrow? Or, or whatever. Do you see? And Jesus says, guys, why are you still in a state where you don't understand? Why have you not yet taken in the fact that I am the Messiah? All your hope is in me. My kingdom is sure. I may not change your circumstances, but I can. Which means you can rest in me. Like, how much time do you need to just be overwhelmed with the wonder of who Christ is and the glory and the focus upon his kingdom? Like, come on. And what happens is, if you dig down into Doug Finkbeiner's heart, you'll find things will bounce off because, Jesus, you're not working my agenda I want this. And I think what I want is a good thing. Maybe I want it too much, but I still want it. Bing. And Lord, you're supposed to come, you're supposed to come through for me politically. Bing. You're supposed to come through for me physically when, when I'm sick and have problems and bing. Do, do you see? All that stuff happens in our hearts. And what I want 
It's a God who will worship me. That's all. If we'll just work my side of the street, this will be good. And God will say it doesn't work that way. Jesus says, guys, you should be at the point where you're going deeper in the wonder of who I am as your Lord and Savior. You should be going deeper into just giving yourself over to kingdom purposes. And instead, everything is bouncing off of you because there's other priorities in your heart. Look at what he goes on to say. Are your hearts hardened? Verse 18. Now, I don't want to get Greeky on you here, but I don't, I got the NIV. I don't quite like the way it actually says this because the implication of the question should be a positive response. So mine says, do, uh, do you have eyes but fail to see? Better way we could say it is something like this. Since you have eyes, you do see, don't you? Since you have ears, you do hear, don't you? You do remember, don't you? You know what the point Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, guys, this should already be in your heart. You have physical eyes, but you also have me working within you so that you should be able to do this, but you're not. And almost here with Jesus, a level of frustration. Guys, You're not yet here, but you should be. Do you see? Jesus reminds them of something that they should know, specifically in the area about our concerns. So look at what he says here. You you do remember, don't you? So now he's going to pose and ask some some more questions. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Well, Finally, that's a pretty easy one. They said, 12. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they answered, seven. Okay, you know what Jesus is doing here? Guys, when we fed all those people and you went around with baskets small and large, And they were just filled with bread. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. It means there's a lot of bread left over. We'll have food for tomorrow. Well, yeah, that's true. What else does it mean? Well, you're, you're pretty incredible. Yeah, that's right. Now we're getting that a little bit here. You know? And, and so he's asking him all these questions. He's saying, do you not make the connection? If I can feed 5,000 and have all that bread left over, and you only bring one loaf with you on the boat, should you really be overly concerned about that? I mean, really? Oh, uh, yeah, maybe your stomach's rumbling. I got it. But should that be what you focus on? We learn in Matthew's account, parallel account to this. Matthew tells us after this that the disciples finally understood that he was talking about the leaven of Herod and the Pharisees. 
Okay. <laughs> so they, they did finally get it. Okay. Mark doesn't emphasize that here, though, on purpose, actually. It's part of what Mark is actually doing. So, just about the time when you're thinking like, okay, Finkbeiner, I'm kind of understanding that. Can I throw you a curveball? This next passage, this healing, it's only, it's only what, three verses, four verses. Five verses? One, two, three. Sorry, five verses. My bad. I keep counting. 22 to 26. It's five verses. Um, is only found in Mark's account. It's one of those unique miracles that you find in Mark. And honestly, when you first read it, if you don't read this miracle and say to yourself, like, what in the world is that doing in the passage? Because you go like, hello, that doesn't make any sense. But, but I'm going to argue as we work through it. It is directly tied to what Jesus has just said to the disciples. And it will give all of us hope. Here's the beauty of the gospel. I want you to think about this. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you don't ever have to worry about having your sin exposed. Because as you repent, you find the joy of forgiveness and transformation. And so, yeah, in this first section, clearly, it's like, guys, you got heart issues. You're mine. You ought to know this by now. But you got heart issues. But in this parable, it's a miracle, but it really has a parabolic meaning behind it. In this miracle, Jesus is going to show what he, only he, but what he can do in our lives. Listen to what it says, and then I'll try to draw it all together. So they've gotten to the other side. They're near Bethsaida. You know, they're just kind of wiping themselves off here a little bit because, you know, the master kind of came at them kind of hard, and like that code name game, that thing went south fast, didn't go so well, all right? Verse 22, they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. What's really, really interesting is, A whole group brings the blind man this time. That's not always the way it works. And and Jesus, in this miracle, is not interested in impressing the crowds. He's always interested in showing compassion to the individual, but not in impressing the crowds. So it's interesting that he takes the man by the hand. I think that's really significant. Look at what the text says. He took the blind man by the hand... And led him outside of the village. So it's just Jesus, that man, and perhaps the disciples. It's a really, really limited group. Why by the hand? I, I, I've, I've never, uh, never been blind. Um, I have a sister who is mostly blind. She can just see a little bit. And, um, and I know when I take Jody, she also ha- has brain trauma issues from an accident, all that kind of stuff. But when I go certain places with Jody, I have to hold her shirt or her coat because she will literally, like if she came in here right now, she'd just walk right into you. And she says, she's, you know, the problem is she's rather bold. And so she'll just kind of keep going. Like, so, I'm, I, so I'm almost like steering her as, 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 as we do things here. Um, and and I, I find it's really, really important to, to, to hold on to her when I take her places. Part of what I think Jesus is doing is not only that, but he's already showing the man his touch. 
and that is important. So it is wise, but I think more is going on that because what Jesus does with his hands are going to be very, very important in this miracle. Okay, so he takes the man by the by the hand and leads him out. That, that must have been a little bit scary for this guy too, I would imagine. I don't know. Then the text says this. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? The language of seeing, there's eight different Greek words used in this passage that relate to seeing. Eight! Have we heard anything about seeing prior to this? Yeah, like in the last passage. Okay, like it's everywhere. So anyway, he spits on the man's eyes and puts his hands on him and says, do you see anything? Now, what would that have been like? So you lead the guy over, it's just you and him. I'm, I'm just saying. And then he puts his hands on his eyes. Takes his hands off. He says, what do you see? But I think it's interesting. The hands that led him are the hands that touched the eyes. Okay. Takes him and says, what do you see? He looked up and he said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Or or, or better, uh, they're, they're walking around like trees. Now, where does a blind man even get his idea of what a tree looks like? I mean, you know what I mean? I guess he's had people describe, well, it's just kind of this thing and then stuff kind of goes out of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, branches go out of it. I, I, whatever, people have explained it, but he's never seen. He opens his eyes and he looks around and he kind of sees blob-like, blob-like things. Now look, you're not quite blobby when I take my glasses off. Well, the farther we get to the pack, now Jack, you're back there. I see Jack back there, but he's becoming a little blobby for me about this point, okay? But if you put somebody way, way back there, I'm going like, I have no idea who that person is. So he's looking around and everything's just, I mean, it's, it's not 2020 vision at all. It's really fuzzy at best. Look what Jesus does. Verse 25. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes again. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. So the second time, he puts his hands over his eyes. And now they're fully restored. And, and you don't always see it in the English translation, but literally it says, it says this happened and this happened. And then the guy was seeing everything clearly, which means this. This guy was staring at everything. Wouldn't you? I mean, all those blobs. There's Jack was a blob. Now Jack's not a blob anymore. And he's like, no glasses. And he's looking, he's saying, I, Jack, Jack has a mustache. I never knew Jack had a mustache. Look, look at it. Look, look at that. What? Look at that. What? Blue. Oh, is that what you call it? Blue, blue skies. Wow. This, this guy is just looking, wouldn't you? I mean, he's looking at everything. And it's as clear as can be. 2020 vision. Perfect. And the only thing Jesus tells him is, 
I want you to go, go directly home. I don't want you to go back in the village because I didn't do this to impress that crowd. I did this to love you and to teach my disciples an important lesson. Because when you read that, you go like, what is that all about? Why didn't Jesus just put his hands on the, his eyes? The guy opened up and went like, wow, I can see, I can see Jack's mustache right now. What, what, why, why doesn't that happen? Because this becomes a kind of an enacted parable of the disciples themselves. Which is why the language of sight is woven all the way through this miracle. Jesus is saying to them, guys, any sight you have, it's because of me. And any clear vision that you're going to have, it's because of me. And you're not there yet. Tim's going to be preaching next week and we're going to still find out Peter certainly is not there yet. Okay? But this group is so confused on a whole series of things and it will be post-resurrection that all of a sudden they're going to say like, wow. Whew. Man, was I off. Do you see? And Jesus is saying, guys, what I love about this passage is Jesus isn't giving up on these guys. They're not yet understanding. They should have remembered. They should have understood. They should have seen all these things. They should have, should have, should have. Yes, that's true. They should have. They're wrong for not being there. But as they stay connected to Jesus, they will get there. Do you see? You know what challenges me about this passage? So if I had to kind of give you a one sentence on this one, I'd say something like this. As our perception of the wonder of Christ and his kingdom become our heart's focus, he will transform us into what we should be. It's so easy for us to be thinking all kinds of other things, whether that's political or financial or physical or whatever. And this passage is all about reorienting us against saying, look, be lost in the wonder of Christ. What he has done for you on the cross. Who he is as the resurrected king. The fact that he's coming back. The fact that whatever you worry about now and things politically. King Jesus will rule one day. And there will be complete justice. Everybody's crying for justice. Over the summer they're crying for justice. People will violate the law. Crying for justice. Go down to Washington, D.C., wanting justice. Some people will use that as an excuse and violate the law again. That's our world. Just back and forth. Because we're sinners. That's what people do. They put all their eggs in that basket. Rather than putting all their eggs in the basket of Christ is Savior and Lord. I know him. He's forgiven me of my sins. It doesn't mean I don't like everything around me. It doesn't mean life is easy. It doesn't mean all kinds of things. It doesn't mean I don't have to pay my bills. I got to do all that stuff. But my central focus 
is the wonder of Christ. So when he wants to come in and teach me about watch out for this influence and that, my ears are ready because I'm lost in him. I don't have to worry about all those mundane issues. No, I, I will. I do. You do too. But I don't, I don't have to ultimately worry about them because he's got that covered. He's over it. It may not work out the way I want, but he's over it. And I can be lost into the wonder of who he is and give myself for him and his kingdom. I can seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and know that all these things will be added unto us. Or as Paul says in the book of Colossians, since then you have been raised with Christ. Listen to this, folks. It's the same idea. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not things on the earth. It doesn't mean you don't think about things on the earth, but it means you're not driven by that at the core. You see them through heavenly things rather than seeing heavenly things through earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Do you see what Paul's saying? He's saying the same thing. The Colossian believers had so many things to worry about. Pressure and and opposition, and feeding families, and political structures, and all kinds of stuff. And, and Paul's not saying, don't live in the world. You have to live in the world. You have to work in the world. You have to have an influence in the world. All that's true. But I don't live for that ultimately, folks. I live for heaven, where Christ is. And I am secure in him. My life is hidden with Christ and God. That's pretty, that's pretty secure. And with that as my motivation, I can move out into a world that is in desperate need of the gospel and be a person of hope in a world of despair because I'm focused on him. And just like that blind guy, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's not done with you yet. He'll take you one step at a time. What challenges me is these disciples came to fully understand who Christ was after the resurrection. Doug Finkbeiner understands all that. I've seen it. And I still play this crazy game where I get lost in the physical and the mundane and I forget what really matters. I fear like I'm those guys in Hebrews 5 where the writer says, you know, you're still living like kids. You should be teachers by now. I mean, I'm still feeling, giving you milk formula. And you should be eating steak. Come on. That's why I am so often. So if I played a word game with you, What comes to your mind? Well, here's a couple of them. And then I'm going to close. I promise. Death. That's good. 
But my guess is some people, when they hear death, all they think about is, ooh, I'm going to physically die sometime. And, that, and that's true. And you ought to be concerned about that. Okay? Like, I get that. But when we hear death spiritually, you're exactly right, Elizabeth. We should be saying something like, but I'm alive spiritually. And because I'm alive spiritually, one day I will be in his presence and experience a resurrected body. Do you see the difference? Word association. Here's another one. Sickness. Ooh, bad. Stay away from. I, like, I hate being sick. I pray for all of our people that in the church that are sick and my friends and family members. I pray all the time. You do too. And one day there will be no sickness, but there is now. But the most important part of sickness is not physical sickness, it's spiritual sickness. So Jesus told the Pharisees when they gathered around him, they said, why are you hanging out with Matthew and all those bummy tax collectors? Yuck! Because I came for those who are sick. See, Jesus tied it to the spiritual more than he tied it to the physical. I guess word associations may be a revealer of our heart. I don't guess it will. But I want you to know, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, as you find yourself lost in the wonder of who he is, Spend time meditating afresh on the cross and who he is as the exalted Lord. You can give yourself for his kingdom. And and as you do, more and more, that heart of yours that at times can be hard will begin to open up. And God's word will go in. And the person who used to worry like the Dickens about those physical things now doesn't worry as much. Because they're lost in Christ. And when they couldn't see real good before because they were so caught up in all that other stuff, now because they're with Jesus, they get it. Do you see? That's the hope of the gospel. We do not put our hope at the end of the day in political structures or in personal abilities. We put it in God. And as that becomes our consu- the thing that consumes us and overwhelms us, we are then freed to be people of hope that can move back into a broken world and share with them the hope of the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ. Father, When I preach a passage like this, I find my name written right there beside the 12 disciples. Lord, it's so easy for us as believers, and we know more than they knew at this time. We know the resurrection. They were fuzzy on all that stuff, confused at best. And yet, Father, we still allow the cares of this world and other things to be the thing that dominates our lives. 
May it be you, your wonder, and your glory, for then we are most enabled to move back into this world and have an impact in it as you would have us have. So my prayer for my brothers and sisters in Christ is that they would be overwhelmed afresh with the wonders of Christ. They would give themselves to his kingdom. And as they do, Lord, they will find a deepening and an intimacy with you that will be such an incredible blessing. And Father, for anyone here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, may this be the day that they come to Christ to begin to see, to begin to understand, to experience true spiritual life as they're forgiven of their sins because of what you've done for us on the cross. You are our hope, God, and no other. May we focus there. In Christ's name I pray, amen. You're dismissed.